Hello and welcome to the HJ Chatroom. My name is Brian Kipping. Back in the year 2000, I remember talking to my friends enthusiastically about the latest book release from Robert Whiting, Tokyo Underworld. Well, 20 plus years later, and at the time of his current book release, Tokyo Junkie, I'm delighted to welcome the renowned journalist and author Robert Whiting to the HJ Chatroom. Bob, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome you. How are you? I'm fine, thank you, Brian. Thank you for having me. Well, I would say that our viewers are in for a special chatroom treat today. I should take a moment just to explain why we have Bob in a real estate chatroom. Well, Bob's book, Tokyo Junkie, is an account of Bob's journey from 1962 to current day in Japan. And Bob presented at the Foreign Correspondence Club earlier this year and I thought to myself that Bob seen through his own eyes the transformation of Tokyo real estate. I've got to get Bob onto the chat room. So Bob, um, it's a pleasure to welcome you, sir. And I guess, uh, you know, whilst that we have a shortened version compared to the Foreign Correspondence Club, I'm sure that our viewers will be delighted to see the slideshow and be amazed of your journey. Oh. So over to you, sir. Oh, thank you, Brian. Well, uh, as you can see, this is what Tokyo looked like when I first arrived in 1962. That's Tokyo Tower in the distance. It was so polluted, you couldn't see, and your, your uh, eyes watered from the pollution, from automobile exhaust and petrochemical smog from the factories. Here, uh, you, a lot of people wore face masks because of the pollution. There were oxygen tanks in, the, in, in some of the police boxes. People were overcome by uh, the smog. It's an amazing slide because I often wondered where face masks originated from, and uh, this is a great slide to demonstrate that. Yeah, it certainly is. I thought it was an old custom. I, I really don't know when they started using them. I think before that, but I mean, it's sort of ironic that, you know, today in 2021, everybody in Tokyo was wearing face masks because of COVID. Yeah. <laughs> it hasn't changed much since 1962. Uh, this is 19-year-old Robert Whiting, who didn't know uh, what he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, fate kindly sent him to Tokyo. My first impression coming down uh, to Tokyo Station, I was, uh, was uh, how crowded it was. They had platform pushers pushing their commuters on. And uh, this is another scene from 1962. This is Akasaka Mitsuke right near the Hotel Niotani. When Japan first won the bid to the Olympics in 1958, the question everybody was asking is, how are they going to uh, pull it off? Because yeah. the, the city had no five-star hotels. They ha only had one five-star hotel, excuse me, the Imperial, but it was falling into yeah. disrepair. It was old. Yeah. The roads were narrow. There were no buildings mm -hmm. uh, taller than, than 10 stories. And so they virtually had to rebuild, build a new city. And so in this, the span of, uh, uh, you know, the six years from the time they won the bid to 1964 when the Olympics uh, were actually held. They put up 10,000 new buildings, eight overhead expressways, uh, two new subway lines, a monorail from Honda International Airport into the city, 
And the bullet train, the Shinkansen, which made the trip from Tokyo to Osaka over 300 miles in, in three hours. So as the historians called it the most remarkable uh, urban transformation in history. Here, this is, this is right near the Ginza. They're putting uh, in a new subway line here. This is a near uh, Nihongbashi, where there used to be a, a really vibrant river culture, and they had to tear it all down so they could run these highways overhead. That's Nihongbashi uh, Bridge there, which was uh, the starting point of the trip by, by the old foot travelers uh, to Osaka. This was zero kilometer mark. And you, on clear days, you could see Mount Fuji here. Not anymore, though. Yeah. And this is what the traffic looked like. Uh, uh, it was, you know, bumper to bumper. It seemed like, you know, all day, anytime you got in a car, it was a traffic jam. Streetcars uh, were a popular mode of transportation mm -hmm. back in the 50s and early 60s, but they were had to be removed because they obstructed the construction that was going on over the overhead oh, highways. Yeah. That's what Ginza Yonchome looked like when I first came, Matsuya Department Store. Uh, here's another section of the Ginza. You can see how this so god-awful crowded it was and yeah. the smog. Yeah. When I first came, only 25% of the buildings and residences in Tokyo had flush toilets. The rest uh, had to rely on vacuum trucks that would come oh, wow. by two or three times a week and they would suck out the waste from underneath the building. And then they would take it out to Tokyo Bay and dump it. Or they would... Uh, put it in, you know, what people, uh, the GIs call yeah. these honey buckets, and they would take them out to the rice paddies outside the city and, and use them for fertilizer. I was an elect uh, surveillance analyst, and uh, I was working for the CIA. They were making yeah. secret flights over mm -hmm. Russia, these U-2, 60,000 feet uh, flights. Yeah. They were spying on Russia in case we had to invade them. It was mm -hmm. my job to analyze the tapes and the photos. I would go down to the Ginza. It was a 25-minute ride on the KO line from Fuchu base where I was stationed uh, to into Shinjuku, and then another 20-minute ride uh, into the Ginza. Here, uh, Ginza at night, uh, Life magazine called Tokyo at the time the most dynamic city in the world because there was just so much going on. Uh, here. This is the fall of 1964. You can see it looks like the evening, but it's actually the middle of the afternoon. It's a smog that's making everything dark. Here's the Ginza at night uh, from Skiabashi looking down towards Ginza Yonchome. There are more bars and restaurants per kilometer in Tokyo than any other city in the world. It was impossible to hit them all because by the time you finished, <laughs> the first third of them would have been torn down and a new group would have sprung up. When we first came, we were told not to drink the tap water because yeah. it was, you know, get sick from doing that. There were, uh, infant mortality rate was really high. They had a problem with rats everywhere. Mm. And, uh, you know, as I said, they didn't have many flush toilets, but they completely revamped the city. And by the time they opened up the Olympics, it was, you know, on par with any other major city yeah. in the world. Here is the... Uh, the National Gymnasium, Kenzo Tange's uh, design. Uh, this won a Pritzker Award. Oh, nice. uh, okay. yeah. And here's the Komazawa Park, the uh, Olympic venue. Mm. Here's the Hotel Okura. There were five uh, five-star hotels that went up in yeah. uh, Tokyo. Yeah. The Okura 
This is the Otani, the Hotel New Otani. This was the site of the uh, James Bond movie, You Only Live Twice. They took off the sign, the Hotel New Otani, and put Osato Chemicals. It was the, <laughs> the uh, headquarters of Spectre in Tokyo at oh, the really? time. Yeah. Here is the Shinkansen, that's the Nichigeki Music Hall in the back. It started running October 1st, mm. uh, 10 mm. days before the Olympics were started. Most people didn't think they would finish on time. The last 18 months before the, the Olympics started, the opening ceremony, they just went into high gear. They started working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If you stay in the city, you had to have black curtains on your windows because the construction, these blinding construction yeah. lights were everywhere. And all, they were tearing up the, the, the streets to build mm. the subways. And these pile drivers were going all night. So you had to have uh, uh, you know, not just black curtains, but earplugs to yeah. get a good night's yeah. sleep. Uh, here was the opening ceremony of the Olympics, uh, October 10th, 1964. Uh, there were more foreigners in the city of Tokyo at that time than any other time in their history. Here is the torchbearer was a survivor of the uh, Hiroshima atomic bombing. Uh, so then symbolic. Uh, there were some problems uh, with the Olympics, uh, the construction of the Olympics. The bullet train cost a billion dollars, which was twice uh, the original cost. And there wasn't enough money left to buy the land from uh, Haneda uh, into Tokyo for the construction of the monorail. Yakuza organized crime groups and the fishermen had gotten together and they jacked up the price of the land so much that the government could not afford to buy it. So they decided to, to build it over water. They ran out of water and they didn't have any, any, uh, enough money to buy the land that was necessary to get into Tokyo Station. So the monorail had to stop at uh, Hamamatsucho, which is a really inconvenient place if people are getting off an airplane and getting on the monorail and going into the city and they wind up at Hamamatsucho, which is basically in the middle of nowhere. And that's I'm glad you mentioned that, Bob, because uh, I often wondered as to why the monorail stopped at Hamamatsucho. They had a license for Shimbashi and they'd plied for one into Tokyo, but they just ran out of money. And uh, the... Building these pillars in the water destroyed the marine life in the Kanda River, and it caused the destruction of the river culture. There was a vibrant river commerce, you know, uh, these riverboat restaurants uh, in Nihonbashi, and it all just disappeared. And you could see the highway is like 20 feet above this historic uh, landmark uh, bridge, Nihonbashi Bridge, and it's just uh, really destroyed the ambience. There's a plan underway, I understand, you know, to tear down this uh, highway, this section of the highway, and put it underground so you can restore the old Nihonbashi river culture. So in 1968, this is the first high-rise building that went up in Tokyo. This is 36 stories. It was the tallest building in Asia. It was such a big deal that they made a dramatic movie out of it. Toho Studios, about the building of this, what a struggle it was to get it up. And in the next few years, they put up several high-rises in Shinjuku. There was a whole collection of them. And it was just a convenient place to build because the land was readily available. It's the, you know, the western perimeter of the city of Tokyo. In 1986, the Ark Hills complex went up. This is one of the more beautiful places in the city. This was the start of the bubble era. 
1985, there was something called the Plaza Accord that was held in New York City at the Plaza Hotel, and the finance ministers of the G5 were there. And uh, North America and European countries were worried about the flood of exports that was coming out of Japan. Japanese cars, Japanese cameras, Japanese TV sets, video recorders uh, were all so good that everybody wanted to buy them, and they were, you know, uh, cheaply priced. And so they just flooded the world. And so the finance ministers were worried about the uh, impact on their economies. So they got together and engineered the devaluation of the yen. In September 22nd, 1985 is when the Plaza Accord was held. The, the yen was 240 to the to one US dollar. And within a period of 18 months, it had gone to 120 yen. So overnight, the Japanese became incredibly wealthy. They had half the uh, cash in the world, the top 10 banks uh, were all Japanese. This is the uh, G7 summit that was held in Tokyo in May 1985. You can see Prime Minister Yasuhiro Nakasone there. This was Japan's great moment in the sun, Ronald Reagan, Margaret Thatcher. And uh, the Japanese economy was the second strongest in the world, and it wasn't so far behind the United States. You can see the, the Nikkei average, uh, it went from uh, around 8,000 in 1985 to 39,000 yen in, in uh, 1989, the all-time peak. And then the bubble burst because they were just way overextended. They, they'd, they'd taken their money and they, had, uh, uh, they were loaning money to Yakuza groups to force recalcitrant landlords to sell their, their yeah. buildings and property. And then the Yakuza groups would turn around and sell it to the banks. But it reached a point where it got, they were so overextended that the Yakuza groups just decided not to pay and the banks couldn't collect. Here is the Rainbow Bridge that went up in the mid-90s. The city had built a new city center uh, and reclaimed land in the center of Tokyo Bay in Odaiba. You could see that the, the pollution had just about vanished. And it, the skyline of Tokyo was really beautiful. Mm -hmm. You know, it's as beautiful as anywhere else in the world. There's another shot of the Rainbow Bridge that's connected this, the, uh, the, the new city center in Odaiba to uh, downtown Tokyo. And here's the Yuri Kawame. This is a train that goes from the tip of Tokyo Bay and Toyosu all the way down to Shimbashi, which is the next stop from Tokyo Station. And it uh, goes over the city in several loops. And uh, it's just, uh, it's like an amusement park ride in itself. It has no engine. This is a linear uh, system. And this is Roppongi Hills which is one of the more remarkable sites in Roppongi. Roppongi used to be a, a place of a lot of bars and restaurants and a lot of gangsters hung out there and uh, much of it was redeveloped. And, uh, you know, this very confusing inside. My wife called it the Cosba. It was like the Cosba because once you got in, you couldn't get out. A lot of high class. Here's the Kasukabe Tunnel. It's an underground flood control system. Very elaborate, you know, much of Tokyo was built, you know, beneath sea level. And so during the rainy season, typhoon season, there's a lot of flooding. And some of these old neighborhoods of these single-story houses, you know, get completely flooded out. So this is one way to control it, to keep the water level reasonable enough on the outside. But it's, it's so dramatic, it's become a, a tourist attraction. 
And there even been some, you know, Star Wars type movies filmed in this place. Here you can see some new highway that was constructed in Tokyo. Since the Olympics, there were something like 230 kilometers worth of highway that was built in this city, which I, is pretty remarkable. I, you know, I've lived in New York for many years and I'm familiar with LA. I can't remember any uh, new highways built in either one of those cities, new roads. And here, uh, during the past year of the Olympics, there were 30 more new kilometers that were put up. So if there's one theme of the city of Tokyo is that change is relentless. I've been told by an architect I know that there are twice as many architects per capita in Tokyo as there are in New York because construction, build, buildings are constructed to be torn down after 15 or 20 years. You keep this constant change going. It's good for the economy too. Yeah. Uh, here's the sky tree, it's the tallest tower in the world, tallest structure in the world. Looking in towards Tokyo, uh, the center of Tokyo, the Ginza Tokyo Station, Shimbashi, from uh, the, the uh, man-made island uh, in Toyosu. Here's a, a long shot of Rapungi Hills, and you can see in the distance this new city center that's been built in the middle of Tokyo Bay. It's quite impressive, the, the construction that goes on here. It's amazing. You know. Here's the governor, Yuriko Koike. This is when the uh, coronavirus first hit. Yeah. And she's telling the three no's about social distancing and masks. And, uh, they've had you know, a fairly manageable experience with, with COVID-19. That was the Rainbow Bridge. Look at from the terrace of the Hilton Hotel in the city center of Odaiba. People on their way to work during the middle of the coronavirus. You can see this is eight o'clock in the morning, Shinagawa Station. There's not a lot of social distancing going on here. And here's a view of Tokyo uh, sunset. In November 2020, the um, Global Finance did a survey and, and they ranked Tokyo as the most livable city in the world. Uh, a year earlier, uh, TripAdvisor did a survey and they, they ranked Tokyo as the spot that everybody wanted to visit. Uh, this, because of friendliness, hospitality, uh, reasonable price, cleanliness, uh, cr no lack of crime. So I think at this moment in time, Tokyo, if you're just going by the metrics, it's the greatest city in the world. It's in its golden era. It's got the highest GDP in the world. It's got the highest population of any major city in the world. It's got more Fortune 500 global headquarters than any other city in the world. It has more Michelin-starred restaurants than any other city in the world. It's got the highest literacy rate of any major city in the world, and it's got the longest life expectancy. Plus, it's a fashion capital, and the people are the politest in the world. This is Shibuya uh, Crossing. It's the busiest intersection in the world. There are 10 different lanes. It's also, it's so, I like to say it's the busiest intersection in the most organized city in the world. Ooh, and that's, uh, the, this is me in my Hollywood uh, phase. <laughs> and here, I really like this picture because this is Shinjuku. These are all the new, the high rises in Shinjuku. The twin towers that you see up there are the, that's the Tokyo Metropolitan Government Headquarters. Tocho, they call it. It looks like Batman's headquarters from certain angles. But it looks like all of these buildings are facing Mount Fuji and paying their respects, doesn't That's it? Right. 
like they're standing at attention. Yeah. Well, it's an incredible city that we have the privilege to live in Bolt. Yes, it is. It's great. Given the accelerated growth in the transformation of Tokyo within a relatively short period of time, what's your view over the next five to 10 years, Bob? Well, I don't see any change. I think it'll just keep going. In all the time that I've been here, there's never been a time where construction just stopped. It's always gone on. They, they find the money somewhere, somehow, or they print it. They have the government print it. <laughs> but the money is always available. And it's designed so that there's a constant flow of construction, of renewal, you know, uh, endless change. Is, is that your take? Is that what you think? I believe so. I mean, my, my time in Tokyo has been only well, less than 20 years now. And I've just been continually amazed at the transformation of the landscape here. It's been incredible. So I really see that real estate is going to be, again, the epicenter of continued growth for however long that may be. But Bob, I want to take the opportunity in thanking you for your time to join me on the chat room today. It's much appreciated. It's, um, I've, I've been humbled by this experience. Thank you very much. Thank for you for time. having me. It's been a real pleasure.